Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Hello, and I've got another show to recommend. What is that? Okay. Is that all right? This one, it's really not related to dead bodies, but it was just really lovely. If you liked Downton Abbey, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Oh, dear. What? I've just eaten eaten a piece of dried peach, and it's quite... uh, It was delicious, but it's got a... I hate peaches. I hate eating peaches. Do you hate the fluff? Yep. I can't. I feel disgusting. Delicious. You hate peach? I hate that texture. It triggers me. I hate it. <laughs> it's one of my favourites. This is if I had to eat a peach with my sock halfway down my foot, I would be. I would kill someone. <laughs> what about um, tinned peaches? Oh, with syrup. That's good. Yeah, yeah. they're good, but they're, that's like there's a lot of sugar in that. It's not really fruit, is it? Yeah. yeah, it's but not. Yes, doesn't it doesn't count as fruit. No, you it just doesn't. don't drink the juice. Don't drink the. That's the syrup. Don't have that. Golden Valley Gold, two fruits in wobbly jelly. Remember that? Nope. No, no, <laughs> no. Kaji, to are so young. It just drives me mad. Uh, so the the show is if you liked Downton Abbey. This one is. So, uh, uh, hang on, just to explain. The peach is making my mouth water. Um, the, the guy who made. Downton Abbey, Julian Fellows, has made this other series. It's called The English Game. So it's very beautiful to look at. It's on Netflix. It's really um, pretty and very Downton Abbey-ish. But it's about football, which I know sounds weird that I should be suggesting something like that but it's kind of um, the factory workers and how the game started but there's also some nice shots in lovely old mansions in England and stuff look at me I may be the only person interested in it but I'm just letting you know it was rather lovely six-part series the English game it's very nice I've watched Tiger King oh yes yes I'm not all the way through yet it's like what going to the zoo on acid. Oh my god! I've never done acid, but yeah. I imagine that's what it's like. Yeah, I'm only up to where the studio burns down. But you've seen I you've just... seen the film clips, right? Like you've seen the videos because that's my favorite part. Um, the singing, oh, the singing. It's like a really bad karaoke video. <laughs> What's that song that he sings? Like, um, I saw a I don't tiger. Know, but I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> what? Tiger saw a man. Why are people on his side? What's still? What's going to change my mind? Because at this point, I hate him. He's well, not unit. He's so odd. Mm. I'm looking up Joe Exotic lyrics. What's that song? <laughs> I saw a tiger. He's horrible. <laughs> yes, this song is called "I Saw a Tiger." <laughs> I love it. Crazy. Yes, that's it. Tell all the hunters to lay down their guns. <laughs> yes, I love it. I don't like him, and I don't. And I had trouble watching it because Kieran got very upset about the animals all being, you know, squished yes. into cages and stuff. And it's so, awful. like, I have to pick my time to watch it when he's not around. Oh man, 
Hmm. But Carol, Carol's like walking around, like head held high. I just I can't. I was like, her park is worse. Her park is there so is bad. So, there are so many memes that are like, why has COVID-19 happened? I'll tell you why. Carol fucking Baskin. And it's just like people are blaming her for everything. And hey, all you cute tigers and kittens. Yeah, hey, all you cats say? and kittens. Yeah. Cats and kittens. <laughs> She's pretty Can happy with her own hair too, isn't she? She's, yeah, we the way need she to flicks start the pod around. with that. <laughs> hey, you cute cats and kittens. Oh, it just makes me laugh. It's another world, isn't it? It's really another yeah. world. They, and what about the other guy, the one that looks like a magician that's that's <gasps> bug one something or other? I that's know the like one. Got a Great. He's got like silver hair, ponytail, yes. rides elephants. What's his I name? Oh, yeah. I don't know. If you've ever seen um, Tim and Eric, they're a comedy duo in America, um, Eric... Wareheim, or is it the other one? Tim Heidecker. Tim Heidecker does a character that looks just like him, just awful. It's probably. I know based we on have list- we have listeners in the United States, and I don't want to. I don't want to upset them, but some of the stuff they do in the United States is wild. Yeah, we don't get that wild here. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't. Like we, they probably think that we are crazy, but I just don't think we get as crazy as that. Yeah, no, they're hardcore with some of their stuff. I think they've got more competition, so they have to out-crazy each other. Whereas yeah, they do. There's not as many of, of us. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's you go. do it. All right. Pa- Patricia, now, I don't know if it's Stallings or Stallings. Which would you say? How is it spelt? S-T-A-L-L-I-N-G-S. Stallings, I reckon. Mm. Stallings. Okay, Patricia Stallings. She lived in St. Louis. And she worked in a convenience store. And this is in the mid-80s. She and one of her customers, so obviously her name wasn't Patricia Stallings yet, but anyway, she met this guy called David Stallings. They hit it off. They started going out with each other in 1986. They got married two years later in 1988. Um, And their first son, Ryan, was born the next year in April 1989. When he was three months old, Ryan became so ill that Patricia took him to Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. Chanel, did you have a reaction to the word cardinal? I think you probably did. I was about to say we haven't had a good run with cardinals at the moment. I thought you were going to say she took him to a cardinal and I got triggered, but it was a hospital named after a cardinal. Continue. It's all right. I think it's okay. It's just the name of the hospital. Yeah. Just checking in with you, yeah. checking you're okay. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. So this little, little bub, he was less than a year old. He was vomiting. He was having trouble breathing. And they admitted mm. him to the pediatric pediatric intensive care unit. He had had gas. To that baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell because suffered... I've done so many baby cases. The vomiting got me. The vomiting triggered me. Yep. So little baby Ryan, oh, three months old he is, he was vomiting, having trouble breathing, put him into the intensive care unit. He'd suffered gastric issues since birth, but this, mm. what he was suffering here was a little bit different. After three days of treatment, Ryan had stabilised, but the tests on him showed that he had a very high level of what seemed to be ethylene glycol in his blood. So the doctors suspected that he had been poisoned with antifreeze. So he was placed in protective custody in the hospital. Patricia, his mother, and her husband were interviewed separately by detectives and they asked her, is there a problem at home? Are you and David fighting? 
So the insinuation being that the baby had been poisoned by either Patricia or her husband. She was furious at the line of questioning and she was absolutely devastated. She said, Ryan is my world, he's perfect. Both parents were mostly kept away from the baby, but a few weeks later, on August the 31st, Patricia Stallings was allowed a short time alone with Ryan it was just a matter of minutes and four days later Ryan once again fell ill and he was rushed back into intensive care. That was August 31st. September 5, Patricia, at this stage she's still only 24 years old, she was getting out of her car mm. at her home in Arnold in Missouri and the police told her to stop where she stood, slapped on a set of handcuffs and they arrested her on assault charges. So because at that stage they were treating in hospital, Ryan was being treated for ethylene glycol poisoning. Two days later, the baby died and the charges on mm. her were upgraded from assault to first degree murder. So while she was in jail awaiting trial, Patricia gave birth to another son, a little boy called David, or same as his father, so David Jr., he was born on February the 17th, 1990. He was placed straight into foster care. And when he was just a few weeks old, he developed similar symptoms to those that had affected baby Ryan. So David Jr. Mm. was diagnosed with methylmalonic acidemia, or otherwise known as MMA. It's a genetic condition in which the body produces propionic acid, which apparently is very similar to ethylene glycol. It's only when they break it down in, into its um, atoms and things, it's only one carbon atom different to antifreeze, this stuff oh, that the okay. body produces with this condition. So David Jr. recovered and he stayed in foster care while Patricia's murder trial began. And the trial didn't go well for her. Her defense attorney wanted to introduce the theory that Ryan had also had died of this MMA that his younger baby brother um, was diagnosed with. But the prosecutor said that baby David's diagnosis was irrelevant to baby Ryan's death. The judge would not allow the defense, oh, that as a defense, unless they had proof that baby Ryan had actually did have MMA and they didn't have that proof. Uh, the judge also wouldn't allow character witnesses to testify on Patricia's behalf and the jury was never told about the diagnosis of the second baby. So on January the 31st, 1991, they deliberated for no, uh, 10 hours and they convicted Patricia of first degree murder and assault and she was given a life sentence. Her defence mm. team, though, they, they didn't want to give up. They got copies of notes from the doctor who had pronounced Ryan dead and those notes showed that that doctor had considered the possibility of MMA as a diagnosis but he admitted that he hadn't tested Ryan for it at the time. So the prosecution said that even if Ryan had had MMA, they were still saying that he had been poisoned by her, even if he did have the condition that the next baby had. So the Stallings case was featured on the uh, on Unsolved Mysteries, the TV show, and watching. Oh, the I show, used to love that show. So good. And on the show yeah. was a biochemist by the name of William Sly from St. Louis University. He saw the story and he agreed to test Ryan's blood. The test was done by mm -hmm. a Dr. James Shoemaker. 
again, we've got a made-up name. Mm-hmm. How is that a real name? Shoemaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. It is real, though. He was the director of the Metabolic Screening Lab at the St. Louis University. And he is it St. Louis? St. Louis or St. Louis? Show me the way uh, to St. Louis. Show me the way. I'm so going yeah, with this version. I think it's Louis. Well, Maybe why does the both. song say St. Louis? Louis, 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 Louis. They, all right. Uh, he, Dr. Oh. James Shoemaker, confirmed that Ryan had MMA and that the original lab reports had been wrong. And his findings were backed mm. up by uh, Piero Ronaldo, who was a renowned geneticist from Yale University. He conducted his own six-week investigation. So on September the 20th, 1991, the charges against Patricia Stallings were dismissed and she was released yes. from jail. She'd spent nearly two years behind bars. And uh, when she got out, David custody, uh, sorry, David Jr. was returned to her custody and the custody of her husband, David. Uh, this Piero Ronaldo's testimony helped to convince the prosecutor that Ryan might not have been poisoned. And so she was granted a new trial because they, the prosecutors were still saying they still th- thought that she poisoned the baby. But that second trial never took yeah. place. The prosecutors apologised to her. So she won a settlement against the Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital and the lab that had originally tested Ryan's blood. And she later said that the treatment of her case may have been influenced by the case of Paula Sims, which had unfolded around the same time. Now, I do have the case of Paula Sims, if you want to hear it. Or have I been talking for too long? Are you sick to No, I don't think it's been that long. Okay, well, I might do the Paula Sims one and just wrap the whole thing up. Um, Just as a footnote to the um, Patricia Stallings case, her second son, so David Jr., he died on September the 17th, 2013, at the age of just 23. He was a private first class Mm. in the army. Isn't that sad? So she lost both her babies. um, And she and her husband, David, divorced. And six years later, later, um, her husband died after a long illness so the Paula Sims case which they referred to during um, Patricia Stallings one and and the thinking was that this case may have affected the way people were thinking when they were judging Patricia Stallings so Paula Sims in 1986 so it was around the same time she was at home in Jersey County in Illinois watching TV with her 13 day old daughter Lee Marie, a masked gunman broke in and he made her lie on the floor and he took her baby. Lorelei's remains were Mm. found by authorities in a wooded ravine behind Paula's home. She'd been suffocated by someone putting their hands over her nose and mouth. So the police, Mm. obviously, as they do, you know, they had to look at the parents, but there wasn't enough evidence to charge them. So Paula Sims and her husband, Robert, moved to another county, to Madison County, and people forgot about baby Lorelei. I realise I've said it twice, uh, differently both times, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, so three years later, Paula and Robert had a baby boy, Randall, and they then had a little girl, Heather. Heather was six weeks old when Paula was taking out the rubbish and a masked gunman ordered her back into her house. Paula said he knocked her unconscious, oh. and when she woke up, the baby was gone, kidnapped, except that uh, Paula had no injuries. So the cops were a little bit suspicious about this. In fact, 
Paula had killed baby Heather and put her body in the freezer and then she later dumped the baby girl in a rubbish bin at a park and it was found several days later. The plastic bag that was wrapped around the baby's body had been manufactured within seconds of and on the exact same machine as plastic bags that were in Paula Sims' home. So the state oh, removed... how do they I work know, that out? Yeah. Well, I guess there's unique, I don't know, they can just, forensics, aren't they amazing? Um, so the state removed the little boy, Randall, from the home. Paula was charged with first degree murder, obstructing justice and concealing a homicide. She was found guilty and just before she was sentenced, she actually admitted to her lawyer that she had killed both babies. So um, Lorelai, the oh. first one, and then baby Heather. And she said that she had acted alone, that her husband wasn't involved. She faced the death penalty, but the jurors opted not to sentence her to death because they had some questions about whether the husband had in fact been involved or not. In 1990, she was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Um, there was a book written about her and she told the author that she had suffered sexual abuse as a child. She was traumatized by the death of her older brother in a car accident and that she had had postpartum depression. And she said that she drowned both the baby girls, but the... Um, forensic evidence didn't agree with that so she's got a problem with lying but one theory was that she was trying to make up for the loss of her brother by having a household of only males do you buy that no mm, no wow you two sound so bored not at all <laughs> what I'm not bored i just don't know whether i buy it Stop. yeah no, i don't either so Paula and Robert Sims eventually divorced. Robert got custody of Randall, um, who obviously grew up. He never went to see his mother in jail. On the 20th of June, 2015, Robert and Randall, who by this stage was 27 years old, were driving in Mississippi when their Jeep, Jeep was forced off the road and crashed and both of them died. Oh. Um, the woman who oh, was driving the white the Volvo. Forced off the road by who? A, well, oh. a woman driving a, a white Volvo, Yolanda McNeely. She, um, her car clipped the Robert and Randall's Jeep. She was charged with two counts of aggravated driving under the influence and leaving the scene of an accident. And she's now serving a 20-year prison sentence. So what a sad, sad, yeah. sad life. So Paula is still serving her uh, life sentence in jail for the murder of both of her babies. Jesus. Mm, I know. Murdering babies, I think, is, oh, I don't want to say it's common, but it's not unusual. Uh, well, they're immediately going to go to postpartum depression as an excuse or as a, um, oh, it's raining, uh, as a wish. Defense. Yeah. yeah. Defense, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a weird time after you have a baby. You are all over the place and you do get strangely – it just throws you. For me, it was more about – because you're so used to having your life and being able to just get up and walk into another room whenever you want to or just make yourself a bit of toast when you want to. When you've got a baby, you can't do any of that. Like there's a little person there going, I want you here with yeah. me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when they're asleep. Yep, they're so cute when they're asleep. So it is. It is odd. It was. It was for me. I just felt like trapped. But I don't. I wouldn't call that postpartum depression. But I think the postpartum depression is a far more serious thing that affects some mothers, not all of them. Okay, so we're in Amherst. I'm not going to tell you who the story is about. We're just going to do it. 
and uh, Amherst is voted one of the safest cities in America. It has a huge university population because uh, Buffalo University is in Amherst. So in September 1990, second year student Linda Yalem had been using one of the running paths to train for the New York Marathon. She's jogging down the path and she was listening to a Walkman. Um, she went for her run and she never ever made it back to her dorm. Her roommates were waiting for her and she just never showed up. Of course, a major search was launched for her and they were searching along the path and in the woods until they eventually found her body. Now I have audio in this story as well and um, there's audio here from a police officer speaking to Discovery Channel for a documentary they did. Let's take a listen. She was shrouded with her sweatshirt covering her torso. Underneath the sweatshirt, her brassiere and t-shirt was lifted up exposing her breast. Her pants were pulled down off of her one leg. Was there any signs of defensive injuries? She had numerous uh, injuries upon her face and uh, in her body, abrasions and bruises that indicated that she did try to fight her assailant. So Linda had duct tape over her nose and her mouth, obviously meaning that she suffocated slowly while fighting off her attacker. But that wasn't the only cruel tactic they discovered had been used on her. Whoever uh, killed her had also used garrots. We've discussed this before. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's um, like rope with knots in it. Um, and this particular person had tied two wooden rods at either end of the rope. And that allowed him to kind of loop it around her head. And then he would hold on to the rods and he could bring her in and out of consciousness as he raped her. Oh. Right? God, that's That awful. is like... Nothing makes me feel more terrified than that. Well, I think it's terrifying when they've planned it so much. Like it's a challenge, or not yes. a challenge, but you know, yeah, it's it doesn't. No, I know what you're saying. It wasn't a spur of the moment thing. He's like set out. No. To, I'm assuming it's a he to yes do it to her in a bizarre way. Yep. So obviously, everyone is horrified, mortified, terrified. This attack happened during the day. It happened in a park. She was targeted for no reason. And police finally get a witness. And this witness says that they saw a man pulling a woman into the woods. And they didn't do anything about it. What? I don't know why, but they didn't. So they've come forward afterwards and said they saw a man pulling a woman into the woods, but they didn't say anything out of it. They didn't tell anyone about it, sorry. So there were also witnesses who said they'd seen a man staking out that area um, in the days prior. And one of the witnesses said the man they saw staking out that area was a work colleague of theirs. He thought it was unusual to see his coworker there. So he went to talk to him and his coworker pretended he didn't see him and walked off. That man's name was El Timo Sanchez. Or Altemio. I think it's Altemio. Not sure. Altemio. A-L-T-E-M-I-O. Unusual name. Well, I think it is anyway. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. where he's from. I think it's Altemio. Altemio. 
Um, so he coached the boys' baseball team. He played on other community sporting teams. He went to church. His neighbors loved him. His house was pristine to look at. Not even his co-workers took it seriously when a composite sketch was released that looked like him. All they did was make jokes about the fact that the killer happened to look like this guy they knew. So Funny jokes. police are, of course, only jokes. So police are, of course, working away in the background like they always do, and they realize that this killer's MO is actually quite similar to another series of attacks by a man who had been dubbed the Bike Path Rapist. He was first known to hunt for victims near high schools, basically anywhere where young woman, young women would be. He would use a knife or a gun, but he also used the double-handed uh, contraption that was used in, in this murder. God. So one of those victims was 17-year-old Susie Coggins. She was attacked in 1986. She lived to tell her story. We've got audio from Susie here. I was walking to a 9 o'clock class. That day I was running late, so I had to cut through all the bike paths to get to school so I wouldn't be late. I heard someone running through the woods. I turned over my shoulder to look, and I saw this guy I saw the rope in his hand, and I thought, he must be running his dog or something. But the perpetrator wrapped the rope round Susie's neck, lifting her off the ground. When I went up in the air, I couldn't breathe. Everything stopped in that time, in that moment. And then he started dragging me back into the woods. And the anger in his eyes, I just, I'll never, that was the one thing that stuck with me for years and years, those eyes, the way he looked. Once in a secluded spot, the rapist broke his silence. He just asked me how old I was and, um, and if I had ever had sex before. <laughs> I just kept thinking about my family. I'm sorry, you know, like, I just kept thinking, I'll, I'll never see my family again, I'll never see my friends again. I just knew in that moment I was going to die. It's awful, isn't it? Mm. It's so awful. So he raped her and obviously, and it was a prolonged rape, like I'm talking hours, um, and he eventually let her go. Susie was just one of the many women who were raped um, by this man, but it just stopped randomly for no you know, reason at all. He wasn't caught. It just stopped. For two years, there was nothing. Then in downtown Buffalo, a sex worker named Majane Mazar, she would work on corners and she had regular clients. And one night she was picked up by a regular and she was never seen again. She was 32 years old. Her body was dumped in an industrial area amongst some overgrown bushes. She'd also been strangled to death and she had those double ligature marks around her neck, um, similar to other victims. But her murder wasn't immediately linked to the previous victims because she was a sex worker. So I don't know if it was because she wasn't looked at as an innocent victim or, you know, she was just looked at as a sex worker who had died. They just didn't immediately make that connection. Um, what they also didn't realize about her was that one of her regular clients was Altimio Sanchez. So now we need to fast forward to 1996. It's now six years since the murder of that original victim that I spoke about, Linda Yalem. 
Yeah. Um, the Linda Yaler Memorial Run was created and it was created to raise awareness about women's safety. Amongst those taking part in the run was runner 635, Altimio Sanchez. Let's uh, take a listen to some audio here. He had two sons. He was very involved in his community. Nothing remarkable about him. He just seemed like a neighbor. He was the guy that, uh, you know, when snowfall came, he'd be out there with his snowplow plowing out your driveway. He was um, a member of his local church community where he was coaching the softball league. His family were well known. He was here for a long time, so he'd established ties. Well, why is he doing the run? That is that like when people, perpetrators come back to the scene of a crime? I think so, but he's also just so involved in the community that I think it would be weird if he didn't do the run. Oh, okay. So no one suspected him because he had that reputation. He was a good worker. Uh, he was a forklift driver, and everyone just thought he was just a great guy. Mm. So we move on now, uh, probably about a decade on. Uh, we're in 2006. There's uh, no attacks still. Um, we go to the 16th anniversary of Lindy Yalem's death. Um, Altimo was spending the night with his wife with a drink in his hand at a party with work colleagues, and there was photos taken of him at that event. But it's not about how he spent the night. It's about how he spent the day that needed to be focused on. So a woman called Joan Diver had dropped her five-year-old off at daycare and she decided to go for a jog along the bike path. But the 44-year-old never came back to pick up her son. A search was conducted and her body was found by Boy Scouts, in fact. They didn't see her entire body, but they saw her hand and they alerted police. Her pants were down, her top was up and she had double ligature marks around her neck. Police eventually found her car and they realized it had been moved. So it was originally at that daycare center, but someone had moved it. Again, we've got more audio here. What came back was one droplet of sweat on the steering column uh, where you put the key in. They were able to obtain DNA sample from that exact key tumbler. That DNA that was discovered was in fact the DNA of the bike path rapist. So they obviously have DNA from all those years back. This new crime has been committed and one droplet of sweat near where you put the key in was found and they could tell that sweat belonged um, to a Hispanic male. It was the same as the bike path rapist and they traced it back not to an individual, but to a family. And I think we've spoken about that before. There's kind of two types of DNA you can get. It can link you directly to a person or to a family. Um, many years earlier, there had been another rape. And a few days after that rape, the victim had seen her attacker in a shopping center. So she followed him out and she wrote down his license plate number. Oh, good girl. Police followed up and they yeah, so good, right? Imagine being raped and then a few days later you see your attacker in a shopping centre. Because you would, hell. to have the so, wherewithal to follow him and get his licence plate, because you would, I would just oh, freeze, freeze with yeah. terror. Yeah. Totally. It's incredible. So she follows him out. She writes out the licence plate number. People find that man and uh, people, police find that man. They go and speak to him and he has a solid alibi for that day. But with the new DNA, they went back again to speak to this man. And after all these years, he admits he was not driving the car that day. 
his nephew was driving the car that day and his nephew is El Timo Sanchez. Um, he was brought in for questioning and it was a female a detective who led the interrogation and the investigation. Sanchez didn't believe she was a police officer and made her show him her police ID, mainly because he had this whole thing against women. Oh. So he didn't want to be controlled by women. He didn't believe women. And so him asking her, I don't believe you're a police officer, show me your ID, was kind of his way of degrading her. Um, at one point in the interview, he said to her, I think you're something else. Like he didn't use the word, I think you're someone else. He said like, I think you're something else. Like, you know, she wasn't human. Um, oh, not no as in one like, could... cause you think of that as a compliment. Yeah. Like, you are something else you are. Yeah. Yeah. So no one could believe that he had been arrested. People were saying the police had the wrong man. His wife had no idea. So the whole time he was doing this, his wife absolutely had no idea who he was. While she was pregnant, he'd been out raping women. He would rape women and then take her out to dinner. He would rape women during the day and go out with her at night. It was just absolutely out of control. His work colleagues could not believe that after all these years, the bike path rapist was him. He was charged with the murders of um, Linda Yalem, Maygene Mazer, and Joan Diver, and he was sentenced to 75 years behind bars. He's Whoa. currently 62 years old, and he is behind bars in New York. And he will die the in jail, end. motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. yep. Can you believe that? How do you think, like, imagine your partner is just out raping and then just comes home for dinner, and you have and no idea. And this, but wouldn't you, you just d smell a smell on them or something? Wouldn't you? I'm not victim blaming. I'm not saying she should have, but but wouldn't you notice something about them? Different. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well I, I've like... never had children, so it's yeah. He like, if you were distracted around. by kids, would you not notice? God. I don't know. Obviously not. Or maybe you do and you just get used yeah. to them. It depends. I don't know. Maybe he was saying he'd been out for a run or something. Like, I'm thinking he'd be sweaty and a bit red-faced or something. Or Unless he was just so calculated about it that you couldn't see any sign on him. But then you, you only see what you want to see, don't you? If you're not looking for it, then you're unlikely to see it. Yeah. That's probably more the case. Yeah, That's so true. Oh, that would be awful to find out that someone that you, you were married to and, and loved was not the person that you thought they were. Oof. Imagine, imagine that. And he must have just been really lucky. Well, I guess so, yeah. Don't just to not have been caught and to get away with it. I think he was just really lucky. Because I don't think being a criminal always comes down to being smart. Yeah, true. How about some feedback? Yeah. yeah do okay. It. This one's from Christy. She says, Hi, Dee Dee and Chanel. She probably would say Kirsten. Mm. That's fine. That's fine. People yeah. are loving you talking now, Kirsten. Oh, I've been but pretty quiet they these are. last couple. They're loving they can hear you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, people are guys. People are here for the cursed, for the kiki. Um, so Christy says, nice things, nice things. I only discovered your podcast two weeks ago and have binge listened, totally addicted. This is probably way out of time because some of these feedbacks have been sitting for a little while. Uh, I'm up to episode 34 about human compost and plastination. I apologize if the following comments have been made that I have yet to listen to. Number one, I want to be buried in a mushroom suit. 
sounds crazy. A what? Ba- <laughs> she says, sounds crazy, but basically you are buried in a suit and the mushroom spores break down the body and return nutrients to the ground. How good's that? That's good. Like, I was picturing what? like an actual, like a mushroom, like, you know, Disney World <laughs> character. That's what I thought. <laughs> Uh, is, that number actual, two. is that actual terminology though? Mush, I'm Googling. Well, it must Mushrooms. be. Oh, it is. It comes up straight away. Mushroom suit death. Wow. That's good. Good one, Kirsty. Oh. Christy, Kirsty, did I get that wrong? I think I did. Christy. Um, number two, she says, I finally <gasps> Hold succumbed. On, wait. What? Yes. It was through field trips. This person that invented it says that I came up with the idea for the mushroom death suit. It's a garment that used to be worn after death that's impregnated with a mix of mushroom spores and other microorganisms that help decompose the body. So you actually have to put on a suit that has mushroom babies in it and then they take you. That's good. Have you ever done a mushroom, like a box of mushrooms in your house? No. Oh, it's so much fun. You have... You, you buy a kit. You probably, I think nurseries sell them. You may have to get them from a mushroom farm. But you buy like a cardboard box, like when you get posted something through the mail. And you open it up. It's already got the dirt. And I don't think you have to do anything. You just have to sort of spritz it with water every day. And mushrooms grow. And you keep it in a like a cool, damp cupboard somewhere or in like the bathroom or somewhere like that. And you go in and pick your mushrooms and eat them. So much fun. Why wouldn't you just buy them? That yeah. seems like a lot of effort. Because it's more fun to grow them. Did you never put a oh, carrot sorry. top on a piece of cotton wool as a child? No. Nah. Sorry. What? No. You didn't do that? Did you? <laughs> Everyone did that? No. Nah. What did, did you do? No, they didn't. Uh... I put um, dirt in pantyhose and then you tip it upside down and then you put it in a cup and you put googly eyes on it and shit, grass grows out of its head. Did that? I did one of those, yes. Yep, yep. Oh, we used to do wet yep. cotton wool on a saucer and then put some uh, wheat grains on it and watch the wheat grow in at school. That was like a science project. No? Nothing? Yeah, what is mm. wrong? Seems we had um, very different upbringings. Anyway. <laughs> well, we didn't have all the gear and gadgets that you modern kiddies had, let me tell you. So, Christy says, uh, number two, I finally succumbed to curiosity and saw one of Gunther von Hagen's exhibitions recently in Berlin. Oh. For many years, I was against what he did due to the ethics of where he sourced his subjects. Oh, I'll just underline again there. I think that's all um, his his opponents are trying to bring him down. I don't think he ever did non-ethically source his. It's um, That was all scuttlebutt. Um, my morals were tested and failed, but geez, it was awesome to see the specimens. Uh, number three, oh, normally I have the strongest stomach, but the flesh fajitas episode Oof. had me nearly throwing up in the car on the way to work. I can't oh. even... That was a good episode, that. It was horrible. Number four, I studied anatomy at uni and we worked with cadavers. I loved every second. I tended to just look at the cadaver specimens as 3D samples of what I was studying from the text. But every so often you would notice something that reminded you they were once living. For example, the fingernails and eyelashes would always make me stop and think that this was once a full living human and not just a Mm. forearm or a section of face. And number five, 
I've seen two dead bodies. I was there when both of my grandmothers died. They died years apart in hospitals surrounded by family. The rate of breathing really does become irregular. It was a little confusing at times with one grandmother as she would stop breathing for up to two minutes, then resumed a laboured style of breathing. But once she was gone, you could tell the colour of her skin and the waxy appearance appearance is very obvious. I remember leaning in to kiss her forehead but kind of stumbled and said, fuck out loud. She wasn't a fan (laughs) of that word, so I apologised to her even though she was gone. It seemed rude not to. Anywho, I'm about to go self-isolate and binge listen to the rest of your series thanks to COVID-19. And um, Christy attached a picture of her favourite dissection of all time, the human nervous system, which had been pulled out from all the other body parts at one of Gunther von Hagen's exhibitions. Thank you, Christy. What a favourite thing to have, a favourite dissection. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my favourite dissection picture. (laughs) Yeah. This is what our viewers have, uh, our listeners, not viewers, our listeners have. It's good. Favourite dissection pictures. <laughs> Go for it. Do you want to do another feedback? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of dog ones. Well, that's your fault. They're all yours. You okay. asked for doggos. So what happened was I asked people to send in things about their doggos because I love doggos and we have been inundated with doggo feedback. So we maybe we won't do them all at once. Maybe we'll spread them out a bit. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> yes. Leaving it okay. to you. So we have one from Charmaine and she says, Dear Dead Bodies crew, I've been listening to your early podcasts over again and I'm finding it hard not to lose it laughing hearing Kirsten's sound effects. Oh. I don't think I appreciated them in their first time around, but now I'm not sure that snorting with laughter is appropriate with talk about dead bodies. I wanted to tell you a little story about my beloved one and uh, it's her dog called Stuzzy. She was a red healer and a very good girl. I used to take her for walks in paddocks and take her off running away from her as a game. And she says it was great. Um, She says, I also remember as a puppy having to fight her to stop eating my socks and clothes once she shit out the tie for my wraparound (laughs) skirt. And I was a bit pissed about that. And she's included some really cute photos. It's very annoying when your dog eats something and then shits it out. It happens, though. Yeah, I had to report back to Bonnie once that um, up at the park, Harvey had shat out one of her little sports socks. (laughs) (laughs) Did you bring it home or did you leave it there? No, it was beyond salvation. I did, for a moment, because I always pick up after him, I did for a moment um, consider, is it possible? But no, there was no fixing that. We're going to finish it here. The end. No. I finished it. You don't need to do. All right. Yeah. I'm done. Zipping it. See ya. That's it. Just going to sit here and be quiet. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.